Hello and welcome everyone. This is Molly Rowan Leach and I'm your host for the ongoing series Restorative Justice on the Rise, co-sponsored by the Peace Alliance. This audio archive is from January 17th, 2013 and featured a very powerful conversation with the 13 indigenous grandmother Mona Palaka. You can find out more about this teleseries at dopeace.us. Thank you so much for your participation in this ongoing series and welcome to this audio archive with grandmother Mona Palaka. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Restorative Justice on the Rise. I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach, and this is a production of the National Peace Alliance. Please visit the Peace Alliance's website. You can go directly to the main site at thepeacealliance.org. You can also go to our special Restorative Justice page with sub-tabs featuring resources, archives, and upcoming guests at dopeace.us. That's D-O-P-E-A-C-E dot U-S. If it's your first, first time joining us tonight, um, this is an ongoing series on uh, a weekly basis that's offered for free, and we welcome your donations. If you are moved by this series, please uh, feel free to go to the Peace Alliance website that I just mentioned and you can make your donation to this series there if you're so moved. But tonight's council is a part of an especially focused series that we're offering this month, honoring indigenous wisdom and practices in what we Westerners might call restorative justice. Now, of course, many of us, all of us know that restorative justice really is nothing new. Um, Those words signify something much deeper in the rhythms of our collective history as two-legged human beings. So we turn our attention this month very precisely in honoring and thanking those people, those tribes, those global indigenous that represent something very deep and inherent within all people's wisdom and in hopes that we might gain better understanding in the current transformation we're experiencing in this particular part of the planet here in the United States and also beyond. I encourage you again to to go to the sub-tab called January Indigenous Honoring um, on the dopeace.us page, which features again the upcoming guests as well as the archives from our first two councils this month with Dr. Johan Galtung and last week's council with Maori Kim Workman. Now tonight I'd just like again to remind everyone to please press 1 on your telephone keypad since this is a virtual circle of sorts. It's for you and for this discussion of justice and for connection and for education and tools and inspiration. So please don't feel shy tonight as we we go through tonight's council to press one on your keypad if you would like to chime in to the conversation. So without further ado tonight, I, I really in some ways hesitate to even do a traditional introduction of this dear woman who has touched my heart deeply Her presence is something that speaks for itself. 
grandmother Mona Palaka, who is uh, a part of the 13 indigenous grandmothers, is a Hopi Havasupai Tewa elder, and she has a Master of Social Work degree. There's many things that she's accomplished, including serving on several United Nations committees for indigenous people's issues. She's also an author and, of course, an international speaker, an educator on indigenous people's human rights, aging, mental health, addiction, and violence. She is the president and CEO, also is faculty as well, of the Turtle Island Project, which is a nonprofit program that promotes a vision of wellness by providing transcultural training to individuals, families, and healthcare professionals. I had the honor of sitting for a meal with Grandmother Mona at the Seed Dialogues down in New Mexico a few years ago, and her life really is something that is such a gift of presence. And I think we'll see that and feel that in the rhythms tonight. I know that to be true. And I just want to honor you, Grandmother Mona, and thank you so much for joining us tonight in this circle. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm. I'd just like to greet each and every one of you that are on the, that are there, and um, I also um, acknowledge, acknowledge all of my teachers, my elders that have shared knowledge with me that um, make it possible for me to be able to, you know, speak to you tonight and speak with you and have some dialogue perhaps to, um, you know, talk about restorative justice. And Wonderful. I think about my own life experience, you know, when um, one of the in my, as a child, as I was growing up, I one of the things that I noticed would happen is if there was one of the family members, um, my 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 aunties or my uncles, um, if if uh, there was some issue that was um, being experienced by one of the family members, that there would be a council, a family council. And everyone would come together, and Grandma, the matriarch, uh, would um, you know would call everyone together, and they would take time to you know talk about whatever the issue was. And it was all always done in a very respectful manner, in a way that was um, was not necessarily. Um, you know, demeaning to the person. Uh, it was always done in a kind, in a kind way. And um, and as I grew up, my parents would you know would take time and you know have a talk with me if it looked like I was going in the wrong direction. And um, we always, my siblings and I would always say you know having to sit down and have them talk to us was hard was worse than you know why don't they just give us a spanking and maybe it'll in it'll be okay but when they talk to you 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 what it does is it really makes you think and you know really gets to the heart you know the heart of the matter and um but i believe you know today that 
this way of um, discipline is um, is very effective uh, from the tribes that are now using this, um, you know, the restorative justice. Uh, the tribes that are using it in their, you know, court systems, family courts, or uh, drug courts, um, even in the juvenile courts, are um, are seeing some very good results. So um, that that's been part of my experience with, um, you know, from my childhood and how how we um, address issues. As a in a in a, a manner that that um, that is um, getting you know getting to the heart of the matter in a um, very nice kind way, but it does make you it you know you you get the you know you get the um, you get it I guess you might say <laughs> so. Mm. Grandmother Mona, why why is it that we seem to so fear working in this way culturally? At least the two-legged um, Western white white man, white person, white woman, white culture. That's um, you know I really couldn't answer that because my worldview I don't have the experience of being a you know, non-native person, but you know, just uh, I think um, even in in our own communities, I think we've all been conditioned to a a certain form of justice, a certain form of justice of uh, what we consider justice, a certain uh, format or model that has been you know in existence since um, you know who knows I'm not sure how long, but. This model that um, where you know it's very punitive and um, and it's you know unfortunate you know because the we're seeing more um, uh, penal institutions being you know built than decent uh, schools for the children. And so I, I see that as kind of like a huge disparity, you know, in terms of, um, you know, what are we preparing our youth for? Right. The the worldviews, um, the differences perhaps in the worldviews, is there a possibility, do you see, from your wisdom and from your perspective, um, witnessing how the United States has, um, I mean, there's so many aspects and layers to this conversation around restorative justice, not to mention, you know, one of the most obvious, but maybe we can get to, to something along those lines here in a moment, and there are some hands up. So, um, but I, I just wonder, how, how does the Western cultural paradigm, from your perspective, come back to um, a a more clear and apparent understanding of of what clearly is a more humane way of working in the realm of justice that that the indigenous peoples have practiced. I'm not saying that, of course, it's all perfect. 
um, but but it's clear that indigenous ways have something to offer us. Well, let me just kind of give you a, um, I guess, share with you a little, you know, a story that's kind of a prime example of of, of um, the practice of restorative justice in a tribal community. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Uh, there was um, there were these two young men who um, had who had um, they were fighting. They got into a fight, and one of the young men killed the other one. And of course, the community was very sad, and and um, the family who who lost their son were quite upset. And so uh, the young the young man. Um, was taken into custody, and when he was um, it was he, he was supposed to go to court. Um, the family, the mother of the family, when she came to the court, they came to the court. Um, she told the judge what she had lost in the loss of her son, and this you know her son was um, like a provider to her. He would bring, you know, cut the wood, bring, you know, gather wood, bring wood home. He would bring, you know, he would go hunt and he would bring home, you know, um, the the meat for the winter and for for her meals. And he, you know, he took care of her. And this was a great loss to her. Now she said, now who is going to take care of me? How am I going to, you know, how am I going to have those things? you know, provided to me when I've been dependent on my son and now he's gone. And so what happened was the um, in this discussion, in the talk that they had, um, it was decided and agreed to by the, the mother of the of the young man who had been killed and the family of this young man who had who who had committed this crime uh the the judge said that what this young man had to do was to take that role and do that provide for the elder the the mother of the of the young man he had killed and um and he so this was, you know, his sentence. He was responsible for providing for her in every way. And uh, it was agreed upon. The mother um, felt, you know, felt that she was, you know, um, she was, she got, you know, the just the justice was done that she felt was she was comfortable with. And it gave also in in their in the thinking of the the people the families there it was the thinking was that um, it gave this other young man you know a a responsibility and purpose and and you know the understanding that he um, he had a, has a place in the community, and that the community is all there to hold him responsible. And so, this is, um, you know, this is is one of the one of the um, stories 
that go with you know how how the um the 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 process works and um the the people who are involved are all given you know the opportunity to agree to how you know how this is going to be worked it's not anything that's real you know it's not imposed on them but everyone must you know agree to you know how uh, how this um justice is going to be you know restored and um so so you know just to give you an idea of you know how it worked in this case uh there's also a certain kind there's a way of thinking uh in uh, in tradition and um it's it's the thinking is that um is is to consider is to focus you know that focus on making it right making whatever whatever occurred and right and that the person who committed the crime would need would um be given you know uh, a process to make things right in there you know there may be a ceremony that's done and in the ceremony that's what they're talking they talk about that is making things right bringing back balance of you know restoring balance um these are some of the um you know some of the the traditional ways that um were pract- are are still practiced mm. and um uh you know being that you know uh tribes have um have have a court system and the they have followed the model of the um United States court system and uh so when certain individual judges began to practice reactivate that restorative justice the traditional restorative justice which meant that the judge isn't making you know his his um decision on you know based on his own rulings uh the rulings aren't be made based on him and how he you know what he determines it to be but there's like a consultation that's um put into effect by you know he the judge may consult with like i said you know the 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 family members of the you know the the people that are involved in this case mhm and so i just want to um, Grandmother Mona, if if I if I might, I just would love to to um, share that what you're sharing right now is is a thread of some very common themes. There's two points that you're making here that I'd just like to reflect back for a moment that tie into what Dr. Johann Galtung and um, and in the first week of our our series this month, and then last week's conversation with um, Kim Workman from New Zealand. First of all, the importance of um, 
you know the elements of what how do how do we make it right and what does that take what what are the key elements and the path to making something right when conflict um and wounding perhaps have occurred um and then the the element of community empowerment and um bringing bringing the community into um the the circle and the the aspect that Kim, um, Kim was mentioning last week is the fact of uh, the system in New Zealand being a community conferencing system in their juvenile system. So it is a form of, so to speak, restorative justice that is their systemic model. So um, thank you so much for – I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to share that, that this is a wonderful thread that, that we're weaving here in these weeks together. And I just, um, if I might, I'd love to open up the council here for a moment. We have some hands up already. I'd just like to welcome Janet. You're live. Hi, uh, hi, Grandma Mona. Um, I was just wondering, you answered some of the questions in the explanation, um, whether, are the people coming into the courts, the personnel, the judges, are they coming in, through the state courts, or does the tribe have their own staffing in there? And then are all the cases that are coming in going through this process in these courts, or are some of them being diverted into the state courts? When it comes to tribal, uh, the tribal law and order or, and the court judicial, uh, we do not fall under state jurisdiction in most states uh, except for, I believe, um, California. And there's another state, but I don't recall right offhand uh, what state it was. Maybe it's Oklahoma, I don't recall. But within all other tribal reservation lands, feder- it's, we fall under federal law and tribal law. So depending on the nature of the case, uh, the tribal court system would uh, would be um, where these cases would come to. They don't go to, Native people don't go to federal, I mean, I mean state courts unless whatever the crime is, is, you know, committed outside of the um, jurisdiction of the tribal lands. So the state isn't involved in this process. And then are the the people who are running the court proceedings, are they people who are coming through the tribes or people who are coming through um, the court system, like the, the, you know, the ones who are running the, um, the procedures? The tribal courts. The tribal courts have their. They the tribes hire their own judges and um, uh, you know their tribal court operations are all tribal. It's all um, run by the tribe. We're like a mini United States. <laughs> we Thank have you. you know the the separation of the 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 court and the government, the tribal government. But they're all tribally run. 
the judges are tribally um, appointed. They're appointed by the tribal council. And are they judges outside the system, or there's they judges? have what they call visiting judges, and uh, for the most part, these are all native judges. Great, thank you. Thank you, Janet. So, Grandmother Mona, another thread from the last couple weeks of our councils has been the um, element of the really the grandmother, the woman in the tribe with white hair, so to speak, who carried the wisdom. And I'm just curious to know, and then we'll we'll open up to another question or comment from from the council. Um, could you share a little bit about this way and um, and the conveyance of of the wisdoms and energies that um, combine, of course, in the sense of justice and making things right, where um, you know the 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 tribal women, the the elder woman was the one who can was the one looked to 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 convene a circle or to convene a council and, and to provide wisdom and guide it. Could you speak to that a little bit, please? Um, I need to try to get this clear first. <clears throat> uh, did you hear this story from somewhere or...? Well, one of the one of the speakers, as I mentioned in the past few weeks, has been Dr. Johan Galtung, and he was speaking of the Polynesian ways, um, specific to Ho'oponopono, and that um, the their ways of working in um, addressing when a wound or or conflict has happened um, involved. Uh, looking to uh, the tribal elder woman and that that was one of their ways and mm -hmm. then um i'm not i'm not so sure about last week's conversation um necessarily in that way but i do know that of course the the element of um even in in, in native indigenous traditions some of them it was the women who chose whether or not we went to the the tribes went to war or not right so there was a there oh, was yeah. an element of decision making and mm -hmm. and um kind of having a say a final say in how things would work oh yeah uh-huh <clears throat> well um i can speak to just to my experience and and um and some exposure to some some of the different, um, you know, tribal nations, uh, where um, in the east the um, the Iroquois uh, people, the Iroquois Confederacy, have um, what they call the clan mothers, and they are they actually are have uh, much authority, and uh, and then. In over here in the Southwest, um, the Pueblo women, there are, which include Hopi, they have what they call um, clan mothers, and these women are, um, you know, have also have um, much authority, spiritual authority, and um, make you know, make decision certain decisions. 
and um, also, well, it's just like in in a for a woman, most you know most women want to keep their house in order, right? <laughs> if you know <laughs> you you expect, you know you have if this is your house, your mm-hmm. village is your home. Mm. This is your home. Your village is your home. And I, you know, most women want to keep their home in order. And by order, I mean even the behavior of the people, how they're behaving. So the woman has a say. A woman can can say, you know, behave yourself. Don't. You know, they can speak to you and, you know, tell you. They can tell you how, um, you know, what you're doing isn't proper, it's not right, uh, that's not the Hopi way, that's not, you know, um, this is the way. They they don't just say that's not the way to do it or that's not the way to be a good person. They tell you this is the way to be. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, you know, that's uh those are some of the you know the roles of the women the women in there um and then uh there's some ceremonies where the women have what they call the final say in a ceremony there may be prayers being made but in the, at the end the woman what when the in the end the woman makes the final prayer and so she has the final say her prayer is is like taking everybody's everything everybody said throughout the ceremony and putting it into a nice little bundle of prayers and offering it up. So she has the final say, and and the way I was told was when she does that, she has that final say. That's the way it's going to be. Mm. That's that's the way I was told. You know, I wasn't raised. I was instructed that way. So that's the way I believe. Maybe others may not like that, but <laughs> that's just that's the way we, you know, we're taught. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you. I'll just go ahead and and open up the council again. Um, go ahead and open up the mic. Joyce, welcome to the circle tonight. Thank you so much. I feel very honored to be here. And Grandmother Mona, I'm happy to hear your voice again. Thank you. Um, I, <laughs> I am very curious. Um, we've been talking about individual um, crimes within the Council of Native American uh, people. And... Um, I would like to ask a question about a larger issue that I've thought about for a very long time, even as early as um, childhood, and that is um, the issue of guilt of non-Native peoples related to atonement and the notion of being forgiven or forgiveness in restorative justice related to the atrocities that were done by our ancestors to the native population. And I had the great good fortune of being at the Seed uh, Graduate Institute as a 
board of directors member and um, filming during the event. And I witnessed and experienced the beautiful presentation of the Declaration of Commitment to Indigenous Peoples. And I have heard since then in dialoguing with Native uh, peoples who, who are friends and colleagues of mine about the reaction to that. And what I would love to hear is the follow-up to that. What, what have been the reactions? What was your personal involvement and reaction? And um, with the positive part of that, how can we go forward to continue the commitment in, in this world so that things are made right? so to speak. Thank you. My, my, um, my, I knew, I was aware of the drafting of this um, proclamation or um, commitment. And um, I, I felt that it was, um, it was a very good time to Receive to bring it forward to the public to yes. present it publicly, um, and um, it was heartfelt. I mean, I looked around at I looked around at all the indigenous representative representatives in that circle, um, and I had told um, I had told. Glenn Aparicio Perry, I told him that we needed to have all of the indigenous representatives in that circle, all the ones that were there in that audience, to be in that, be up there in front to receive it. Uh, because, because for them to step forward and stand in that circle was, um, was, Exactly what needed to happen. It was. It's. Um, I mean, it. It gave it more. To me, it gave. It gave it more credibility than merely uh, reading. Uh, reading this and handing it to one native person or indigenous representative. Uh, it was like everyone, all of those indigenous people standing there received it and looking around at them as as this ceremony took place uh I could see I could see tears and you know I could see um the that great that great feeling of of um of the intention that was being offered and them receiving that intention, and um, for me, it, to, it was very. It was a historical moment um, that um, I think that just like with everything uh, else in our society today, uh, sometimes um, you know it. It takes time for it to move beyond that circle and you know to be accepted or or even to be acknowledged as you know having been um a step forward 
and um, and then so I think uh, there was it was announced that the that it was going to be posted and people could sign on to it if they chose on the internet. Um, and um, and so and I'm not I'm not um, aware of you know any you know anything else beyond that one event I but I know that there are many many um statements many statements that are coming forward that are that include um a acknowledgement of 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 the indigenous people and their ways and their practices and their medicines and their you know their culture to to honor it to respect it and the agreements that may have been made they must be honored and respected such as you know the treaties and and you know their rights indigenous people's rights to you know be um free to practice their religion they're not religion we don't call it religion to practice their you know their spiritual practices and you know beliefs uh acknowledging those things and so you know it's it was a step it's not the end all you know to every in everything it's it's um the people that were there are aware of it it's it's um something that there needs to be you know more awareness and i'm involved in several other um i've been involved in several other um um historical moments of these kinds of um um proclamations or statements or commitments in just in before the end of the uh, the year 2012 that have taken place it's a good time it's good yes i haven't heard anything bad about it i mean i haven't heard anything any criticism of it from anyone oh that that's fantastic to hear i i am curious what you feel and you believe is the next step what would be helpful in this bridging of you know honoring and actually in in some cases embracing the practices that I truly believe uh, will help to heal some of the um, uh, forgetfulness about how to be in a way to honor all things. So I'm curious what you think might be some of the next steps. Well, the way that we um, usually my response to that is is you <laughs> it's you mm. you make yes. you know you make you begin to take the steps to actualize those things that were in that commitment if you signed on to it yes if you signed yes. on to it begin to put those things into practice for you know the way things are right now our most i guess our priority right now is to is that um that there be support in um in in the 
the nations, the tribal nations, the indigenous people, uh, calling on the nation states to recognize and acknowledge that we have rights as human beings, the same rights that all people, other people have. And yeah. that there that any agreements or uh, treaties that have been made be honored. So these are yeah. you know those are those are the key you know things right now. And the and the other one when it and it goes back to you again, and it's that it's how are you um, how are you taking care of this Mother Earth that you know, is is part of your life. Yeah. That that goes you know, that goes back to you again. So these you know, it's it's um you know we we're saying that um it's not an Indian thing, you know, it's not a it's not a native thing. It's not a we can't even call it an indigenous thing. It's our it's a it's our all people, our survival. That's what that's what we're saying. Yeah, we're you know, but we're the ones who have been you know uh, kind of like certain situations have um, have occurred that have caused you know the indigenous people to you know be stand up and start voicing you know their concerns. Grandmother Mona and and Joyce, thank you so much. This. Um this kind of opens up for me a question of do we need to go backward first in order to to move forward? Do You're asking me that? Ex- sorry? Are you asking me that question? Yes, I'm wondering is, how important is it for us, is it critical that we turn our attention to the history of wounding and violence Especially the immediate history and the you know, including what Joyce is mentioning, in order to move forward fully within um, our even our current justice system. There's you know there's a certain level of awareness that needs to be, you know, um, that needs to be acknowledged, or mm-hmm. you know, people who aren't aware um, need to become aware. In order, and I don't believe it's going backwards, but it's it's you know it's basically the truth of of you know of the history of colonization of colonialism um, and mm-hmm. and how that has impacted you know so many generations and so now it's and you know to you you don't go back to that, but you look at it and you see the impacts. If you were a five-year-old child and all of a sudden some stranger, some strange-looking man comes into your village and grabs you and throws you in back of uh, a wagon and collects all of the little children you, where you're being basically kidnapped and, you know, you're family is either trying to fight or being held back and you're being taken away and you they take you somewhere to 
some place you've never been before. And um, they say, you know, they, you get there and they cut your hair all off and um, take all your clothes off of you and scrub you with lye soap and, and you know, put scratchy woolen uniform on you or something and put you in a cold, dark room. You know, what are you going to experience? What do you experience if that was, you know, what would you experience? How would you feel if that happened to you? So, and then, so you, and then how would you behave after that? So this is, this, this is part of the, you know, the, the trauma, what, what we call the historical trauma, that wounding that occurred and it occurred year after year, generations. So uh, now, now there is the, and then the most of these children never talked about it. But now it's, they know it's okay to talk about it. Mm. So now it's we're moving into what we're saying is the healing part. We're, be, we're beginning that process of healing. There are many healing ceremonies and, and you know gatherings that are focusing on that healing process. But once when you're going through that, it's, it's still you know um, then the people who haven't experienced that and hear about it, then they you know it's um, either they don't believe it, just like let's say people don't believe there was a Holocaust. We say, you know, now we're saying, you know, well, the Holocaust, we have, you know, the American Indian Holocaust. But, you know, these are some of the things that, you know, when you talk about our our history, we, this is stuff we have, we're working very hard to resolve. Mm. Mm. So these are some of the, you know, these are some of the underlying, you know, issues that are related to um, much of the, much of the, um, you know, the the um, um, some of the issues that we're, you know, we we deal with now in our in our communities. And I don't like to, you know, like make it sound, you know, like we're, vic- you know, we're the victim or anything like that. But you know, if you if you really looked at that, yeah, sure, those were li- those little children were victimized. Mhm. So uh, I have a history in my family where, um, on my father's side, and uh, up at Hopi Land. And my um, my my great grandfather, um, when they they were taking the children away like that, um, even my grandmother told me about how she was thrown in a wagon. Um, uh, what my great grandfather did was he went down to the he went to the um, government agents and said. 
we don't want our children taken away uh, taken away from us like that. We don't want them to leave the village. If you want to educate them and put them in a school, build your school right here below the mesa. Build your school right here. Our ch- we'll let our children come down here during the day to go to school, but they must be back home in the village when they're through with their school. We don't want you to take our children away anymore. And so that so a, a school was built there. They called it the Palaka Day School. Mm. Mm. And, you know, so that's how... That was one, you know, one story about how that was addressed to stop the children from being removed. Well, if I if I might just for a moment pause and just again thank you for being with us tonight, Grandmother Mona Palaka, and just to point people's attention to a few places on the web that you might be interested in if you aren't already aware of. Um, including uh, the website grandmotherscouncil.org. That's, of course, the website for the International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers, for which Grandmother Mona is a part of. Again, that's grandmotherscouncil.org. And then I found the Turtle Island Project on Facebook. Mona, is there a website where people can go to to find out more about that project? Mm. Yes, we do have a website, uh, but I don't have that information with me right now. I'm sorry, I don't. I ha- I didn't memorize that. That's okay. We'll make sure that it's posted near the audio archive of tonight's council. And I just um, I'd like to again invite anybody who would like to ask a question or make a comment to press one on your telephone keypad as we're coming near to a close tonight. And I'll go ahead and select a, a question, too, from, from our web questions that have been submitted. Um, of course, many people have been uh, noticing that there's a movement in Idle No More, and a couple people on the call were wondering what your experience might be of this movement, Grandmother. And, um, of course, there's a, a World Day of Action coming up that they're calling for with um, the movement beginning in in Canada and the First Nations leaders who are calling for that day of action on January 28th and wondered if you'd like to make brief comments about this movement. Well, the movement is is um was started by four women, uh First Nations women in Canada. And um and the, uh, there, it's multifaceted, the I don't know more, but the key um, areas that they were concerned about was the, uh, the preservation of, um, of, the, of the, the waters and the lands um, and protecting it from protecting them from um, being destroyed by the planned um the planned uh the pipeline the oil pipeline the um tar sands the um 
the uh, tankers that are, you know, they're considering um, shipping, sending through the rivers, the rivers there uh, on the west coast, west side, north, the northwest. Um, they're concerned that that's the basis, and not to sit by idle no more. It's not to just, you know, not be pa not to be passive anymore, but to speak up, to voice, you know, to be able to have a a voice in opposition to uh, the planned, um, you know degradation of of those lands um, but you know their their issue is not um, restricted to them it's an issue that relates to all indigenous people all over the world and what's happened with idle no more is it's become a worldwide movement Many, many people in other parts of the world are picking it up because they too have the same you know issues about their natural resources, their existence uh, you know from time immemorial in on their lands and territories is dependent on you know taking care of those natural resources that give them you know, their livelihood. Um, I, I think like the people in um, the Amazon where deforestation is taking place and the damming of the rivers, um, the same thing is happening up in Canada as well, but in different parts of the world, <clears throat> the same thing is happening. And even... even um, well, one of the things is that um, the people, the indigenous people where these resources are being extracted from, they do not benefit from it. Many of these places, um, the people, the indigenous people still live without, um, you know, they live without... Um, Maybe safe, clean drinking water. They live without, um, you know, they live without access to, you know, health care. Um, but they've been able to survive by using what's there. And um, and every, you know, every year, many of the people at certain seasons, they know when to go get their, they get their fish, they get their. Um, you know, the, the they go do their hunt for whatever animal life that they may hunt, like deer hunting, elk hunting, moose hunting. They do their hunting, and so they have their, uh, they go, you know, like up north in Canada, they do their salmon, you know, salmon. They they do their fishing camps, and they call, they harvest salmon. So they have they have their meat all you know, through the through the winter, and uh, and so um, so, what are they going to eat if these things are no longer available? And um, you know, there's 
mainstream or mainstream society uh, government uh, look at these look at the in, the indigenous people and they say oh they're dependent they you know they're on they want welfare they want this and they want that but you know what um, these are you know these are some of the um, these are things that were written in the treaties that you know that in exchange for you know the lands that were taken the, in these treaties in exchange for the lands that were taken the government had made these agreements that as long as the rivers flow the grass grows and the sun shines we will we will you know provide you with these things in exchange for giving letting us take this you know these lands and then they put them the tribes on these reservations reserves they cut out an area of land put a board, a boundary a border on it and they said that's your land that's where you stay and so you know we've moved over and went ahead and went on to these reservations, and the rest was all open up to everybody else. And here, all we have now are these little patches of land that are, are what are our lands, our Indian lands, now called reserves or reservations, and now they want that. So, you know, the, this is, this is uh, part of the, you know, the basis for what um, the women, you know, again, like I said, you know, a woman, the woman has this responsibility to keep her home in order, speak up, to say something. And that's what this is. Those women stood up and said, we're not going to sit here and let you do this. We're going to say something about it. Mm. So this is how that, you know, this is part of, you know, as far as what I understand anyway. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of publicity and, you know, different statements that are being made, things like that, but um, but I've been, um, you know, I've been in communication with some of the, some of the, uh, the women folks mm-hmm. that are, you know, are up there. It, it seems that there's an extraordinary moment that we're experiencing here in our history as a humanity where the truth is rising and where people such as, as these four women and th- those who are joining them and all the people who have stood up in the face of injustice in, in the world, just even in the past year, has been an extraordinary rising. And um, I just... I also want to mention, too, to go back for a moment, um, I did find the Turtle Island website, Grandmother Mona, and would like to share that with people, if I might. Um, That would be turtleislandproject.com. And again, um, the International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers is grandmotherscouncil.org. So we're, we're coming to a close tonight, Grandmother Mona, and it's been just really beautiful to have you with us tonight and I really appreciate on behalf of 
everyone with us and the Peace Alliance, you're, you're sharing with us these, these stories and the depth of your understanding and, and being with us. And I'm wondering if in closing tonight you might just share with us um, a thought about what, what if anything, what, what might be an action that people might take in their lives you pointed to it for a moment, I think, um, and it's been a common theme throughout tonight. But wh- what kind of action can people take just right now in their own life to influence um, the healing and the balancing of our planet? This is what I do. It's a very, very basic practice. And every morning, the first thing I do is I go to the water and I usually take a drink of it and as I drink it I give thanks to it give thanks to the water I take a deep breath of air and I say thank you for my breath of life and then when I walk out the door for the first time I greet the daylight the day the sun, I look, I make a motion with my hands towards it, and then I give thanks for the day. Then I reach down to the Mother Earth and touch the Earth, and then I pat my feet, and I pat my heart, and I pat the top of my head, and I say, thank you for my life, because these are the things that give me life. These are the things that give us all life. And if we stop and acknowledge it, starting, like I said, starting with ourselves, then you would understand and have that appreciation for the thing, these these elements of, you know, nature that no man has been able to make yet, or maybe they're trying, but it's this natural, we say it's the natural, it's the grace of, you know, it's the grace of the creation. These four, these elements, they give us our life. We can't live without any of them, those four elements. No one can. And so we must take care of it. And once you understand and appreciate it for yourself, then you can turn around and you can look at your little child or grandchild or family members and, you know, your your um, people, your community. You, you can look beyond yourself and, and also have a thought and a feeling for them that, yes, they're like me. They need these things too. We need to take care of it. That's mm. the basic call to consciousness. So I'd just like to share that thought with you all, and you can all do that. It doesn't cost you anything but a moment of your time. Mm. It's been a great honor to be with you tonight, Grandmother Mona. Thank and you. With each of you wherever you may be tonight dialing in from. Thank you so much for being a part of this ongoing series. 
And I would like to just warmly invite you all also to join us again next week as we talk with Sequoia Trueblood, and then the following week with Pat McCabe, also known as Woman Stands Shining. We look forward to seeing you again on this series in this virtual council of sorts, and hopefully you might like to check out the archives at dopeace.us, and this one will be posted there shortly as well. Thank you, everyone. I'm a talk way off. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Mona. Oh. Oh. Good night, everyone. Bye.